Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer is a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. Hello, Shelby's. It's another episode of maybe your favorite podcast now. Please let it be your favorite podcast now. <laughs> Shelf Book Podcast brought to you by your hosts, Kate Evangelista, Angie Sandro, Christine Berman. And we are so excited this week because we have another amazing author with us that is going to share not one, not two, but maybe even three Shelf Books projects with all of you which is you know quite amazing because different projects different situations and maybe you might just find yourself in that situation and you know maybe gain some insight on how to move forward with your project which is pretty much one of the goals of this podcast and you know we are we are always always so happy to have new authors every week to share with you our audience, our Shelbys. So this week, we are, our author guest has been making up adventure stories for as long as she can remember. And same, you know, um, I think that's one of the things that writers get asked is like, when did you start writing? And sometimes it's like, from the jump, from the get-go. And she's the author of the Paranormal Contemporary Romance Afterlife series. So make sure to check that out. Once you're done listening to this podcast, please don't leave us behind. But if you can multitask, then we're happy to uh, keep you company while you check out that series. She prefers to make people cry rather than laugh. Same. Um, and she produces fantasy and adventure stories from a haunted house in New England. Okay, this is this is going to be this is fast going to become. The Haunted Shelf Book Podcast, uh, because I am a paranormal buff and I love everything haunted. So if I slip in questions about what makes your house haunted, let's just go there. Um, where she lives with her husband and three cats. Oh my God, this author is after my own heart. Everybody, please welcome Terry Bruce to the podcast. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We are just as thrilled and we have been quite excited to have you on and to listen to your shelf book. For our listeners and viewers who are meeting you for the first time, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I um, have been a published author now for 10 years, um, which it still feels new. I keep waking up and going, oh, my book is coming out. Oh, wait, this is like my fourth book now. And <laughs> wait, when did that happen? Um, I write what I call kind of hard to classify. I write a little science fiction, a little fantasy, a little horror. I think I write cute kind of, oh, that's odd stories. But if you read a lot of the reviews, especially in my short story collections, the reviews are like, this is the most horrifying thing I've ever read. This is terrifying. <laughs> I'm like, really? Hmm. Apparently what I think is cute is not the same as what other people think is cute. So. <laughs> my work kind of falls into like slipstream new weird and like i said i do prefer to try to 
yeah, make people cry rather than laugh, but I kind of do both. I, I find writing comedy easier. I struggle to write the tragedy, um, but I lean towards wanting to be tragic in my stories. <laughs> You know, I mean, comedy is quite challenging to to write as well because, like, you know, to make people laugh is because um, you don't know like what what they would like gravitate towards and what would make them funny. But then at the same time, the tragedy part like taps into such a feral feeling within us that sometimes it makes other people uncomfortable sometimes you know but i think that discomfort is what make what can make a story so you know so viscerally effective and i which is why this, the same i try to make people cry but sometimes it just ends up into a ends up being comedy i don't know why <laughs> it just <laughs> happens and um so in your shelf book story are we is it when you started writing it was it supposed to make people cry or was it supposed to make people laugh so let's begin with your first shelf book story yeah so i i do have three shelved books for various different reasons but the first one i want to talk about is my very first novel the one that took me to agent query connect which is the place where i've met several of you before um and that was a story uh that i originally was calling jumpers and when I finished it and was getting ready to look for an agent, the movie Jumpers came out. And so the first thing I had to do was change the title of the story. And it's an oddball story. Um, it's a, a sci-fi noir and it, the main character is a police detective. And it's very stylistic. It's kind of more one of those style, I don't want to say style over substance, because the substance of the story um, is important, but the way the story is told is super important as well. And it was modeled on one of my professors in college, actually. Um, I was a student of a man named George Kelling, who is the father of sort of modern policing, the broken windows theory. He's very famous in policing circles. Um, and I went to a lecture of his, and this, this we're going to get political real fast here, but <laughs> I went to a lecture of his and he was talking about police brutality. Now, keep in mind, this is the late 90s, okay? This is more than 20 years ago. I went to a lecture of his and he was talking about police brutality and how it happens. And he said, you know, guy's giving you trouble, so you, you pop him, you hit him, and it feels good. So you hit him again and again and again. And while I was sitting there, I'm in my 20s, you know, I was 19, 20 years old, and I'm listening to this man talk about beating another human being. And the his staccato rhythm of how he was describing that felt like I was being hit by his words. And I wanted to capture that in a story. So I wrote a story about a police detective and started querying it. And I realized on pretty early on that it was going to be a hard sell. It's not commercial fiction. Um, it's sort of literary sci-fi noir. It's going to be very niche. And at that time in my career, 12 years ago, I wanted to be a breakout bestseller. I wanted, you know, JK Rowling money. I wanted to you know, just be able to roll around in a bed of money. So I, I needed a commercial fiction story. So I shelved that story. Over the years, I have pulled it out and thought about publishing it. But in the early 2000s through kind of, you know, 2010, 2015, 
the world was a great place. Everybody was happy. Nobody wanted to read about police being bad because it was so unrealistic. Community policing was a thing. Everybody loved cops. It was wonderful. And so I was like, this story has no future. Like it's, it's time has passed. This is no longer a contemporary issue that anybody cares about that makes a compelling story. And then <laughs> the most recent <laughs> last five to 10 years, I was like, oh, look, my story's relevant again. I'm going to dust this off. So yeah, even when you have a shelved story and you think like, oh, it's no longer relevant, you know, or it's too, too outlandish for, you know, current times. Like if we were in sort of a utopian period, right? And the economy was great and you were writing about like Wall Street crashes, people would be like, that's irrelevant. But yet things always seem to come back around at some point. So if you mm -hmm. wait long enough, it comes back in style. That's true. So do yeah. you consider that you learned a lot writing that story though? Like, is it something, you know, like, did you learn about a specific style or like, did you, did it show you some, a way of writing or new or something that you consider like, oh, if I hadn't written that story, I wouldn't have been able to do something else and afterwards. Yes, but uh, kind of in an oblique way. <laughs> Um, while I was querying it and I realized it wasn't commercial fiction, I rewrote the story um, to try to make it co more commercial and I destroyed the voice and kind of what I was trying to do with that story. The main character it, it speaks in a very like staccato, like the story feels like it's bludgeoning you. All my critique partners when they were reading it and beta readers said, I hate it at first, like they read the first couple chapters are like, this, it's very like all things staccato and then we're like you know it doesn't flow like lyrical prose and then right. you get about two chapters in and they're like i feel like i'm underwater like the story makes me feel weird but i like it like it oh, has wow. an effect and i destroyed that effect which is in part part of the storytelling and so the lesson i learned from that story was to trust my instincts mm -hmm. and like not every story needs to fit into a commercial mold Mm -hmm. And commercial fiction is not the only type of fiction that's out there. And in the last 12 years, I've sort of just learned a lot more about publishing and sort of the, the smaller corners of publishing. I started to go to conventions um, like Aresia in, in Boston in January and Bosco and in ReaderCon. And they have these vendor halls, you know, with small presses in there. And the stuff that's coming out of like small presses, I'm like, Holy cow, I don't see this stuff in Barnes and Noble, let me tell you. Nice. Noble, we love you, by the way. <laughs> it's a sponsor. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, like, so I was like, you know what? There are other routes to publishing other than commercial fiction. And it turns out I do not write commercial fiction. So I'm probably never going to have Rowling's money. I'm not going to be rolling around on a bed of money in a, a Scottish castle, alas. But I have come to a much happier place as an author with a better understanding of what it is I do and like what my fiction does and i have a fan base i have readers who like what i do and connecting with them gives me a great amount of pleasure um, and there's a small amount of money very small amount of money but but there's some money but yeah there's other ways other than you know big four three how, however many publishers we now have left um <laughs> And so one. that's what that book taught me. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's really, it's one. One so, yeah. over three. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, and I think, I think at the end of the day, regardless of like, whether it's small presses, medium presses, self-published, big press, I think what gets lost along the way is that happiness 
that mm -hmm. comes with the writing. Because sometimes, you know, it gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are many big four, let's just say big four for now, <laughs> um, uh, writers who are from the bigger publishers who are not happy. I mean, you know, the, the checks, the, I mean, I'm pretty sure the advanced checks are not that, um, you know, appealing anymore when you're not the caliber of writer that we are talking about in the upper echelons. Um, but yeah, it's like at, at the end of the day, I really click with what you were saying is that, you know, it's the happiness. Like you found yourself mm -hmm. in this place where you are happy in your craft, in your writing. And how did you, how did you navigate that? Like, how did you get to that place where you're like, I'm here, I'm right, I'm, I'm at home with what I'm writing now? It's taken a long time. Um, so my second novel that I wrote, which is Hereafter, which is the first book in my Afterlife series, um, was I was like, this is going to be a commercial breakout success. This is it, baby. This is this is my <clears throat> ship coming in finally. And I entered it into like the Amazon breakout novel competition. I was querying agents and then I was still getting the yeah, this is not commercial fiction. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> the agents are like, yes, we are very sure. Um, and I ended up with a small press with that book and they picked up the series and uh, a, three days before the second book was supposed to come out, I had to sue my publisher for breach of contract. <laughs> and we pulled the books uh, and then, yeah, I, we had cover art. I had a marketing campaign. I had to spend thousands of dollars taking them to court. <laughs> it was horrifying. And it was, I was really heartbroken and I was actually sort of devastated. And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Mm -hmm. And there was just a little voice in my head that was just like, no, like, I love this series. I love these characters. When I'd been querying the series, the first book, um, the two main characters in that book, one is a 36 year old woman, one is a 14 year old boy. And they form this sort of unusual friendship. And I had an agent, I'll never forget this. It's 10, 12 years later. And the agent said to me, well, if you change the 14, adults don't want to read about kids and kids don't want to read about adults. So that's why this is not commercial fiction. Now, this was the height of, by the way, Harry Potter mania, right? Where the only people I knew who were reading Harry Potter were all in their thirties, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but adults don't want to read about children, this agent said. So if you make the 14 year old boy a college age hottie and make this a romance, yeah. I would be interested. And I was, I thought about it for about two seconds. I was like, yeah, no, that's not the story I'm telling. And so by the time like the thing happened with the publisher, I was like, what am I going to do with this series? Most publishers won't pick up a series where part of the books have already been released. I did get three offers from three other small presses that did want the series even after the first book had come out. But I was so gun shy at that point. Um, like, you know, I just I spent my 40th birthday money trip to Italy on suing my publisher. I haven't gotten to Italy. It's 12 years later. Still haven't gotten to Italy. Um, ever so sad. Um, so I decided to self-publish the series. And I think that was kind of the moment for me when I realized like I believe in my stories and the way I'm telling my stories so much that I'm willing to self-publish the series to get it to readers. I did have people who and the first book I had a fan base, people were like, where's the second book? It has now been 10 years later. I still haven't finished the series. In fact, the fourth book was my my second shelved story. 
of why the fourth book has not come out for 10 years um that are still waiting and like still email me and like terry what are you doing you promised us six books where are the books we want to know how this story ends and so it was just my realization that i was passionate enough about what i was writing and the way i was writing it that i would fight for these stories and then also that i had found readers who did connect with my work and that they're out there and like it may take a little longer to find them because i'm not standing like on the top of the empire state building showering <laughs> leaflets right like when you get an audience like you know you yeah. can do a reach a million people at a time you can find the hundred thousand people who like your story when you're doing it one person at a time it takes right. forever yeah so, yeah well, you have so a fan over here because i love your story <laughs> thank you thank you yeah i think I, can, I know i read the first one and i feel like i'm not sure if i read the second and and i see you have a third one out as well so yep yeah it's been out for a while and the fourth one is now finally coming out um okay. so yeah. there was not a show <laughs> well it so it it was for a long time there was a whole bunch of things there was uh some beta reader feedback that kind of gave me a crisis of confidence in the story um mm -hmm. and also i lost my cover artist uh who i love she does amazing work um and i we lost the cover model the when i reissued the books myself and self-published them i didn't want uh just standard um stock art i wanted something unique um and this artist delivered for me she found a local model they did a photo shoot in a park people called the police because they were setting off smoke bombs it was the whole thing for we've suffered for our art and the cover model was not available for the fourth book so i did get a book cover um, from my artist but it used stock photos and about the time she delivered the art to me a very well-known author released a book that uses the same stock art <laughs> i was like why does this keep happening to me <laughs> so i was like i can't release this cover now it looks like i'm ripping off like this very famous author <laughs> so i was like Arr. so i shelved the book um and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna have to recover all the books so that the covers match stylistically that's gonna be thousands of dollars right. and like i just don't have the heart to like start over and so it's been sitting for i literally got that out five years ago the book was done for five years and it's been sitting there and recently there's just been a big growth among our authors um, in serialization releasing stories via patreon or wattpad or inkit or vela um, for amazon and i was like oh hello <laughs> i don't have to have a book cover uh, i don't have to do a big release push which is a lot of money too like throwing parties blog tour you know bookstore tour it's a lot of money that's not in the cards right now um especially with covid like i can't do in-person stuff and so it's like you know what i'm going to release this to the people who've been waiting so i threw up a patreon and said hey if you have been waiting for this book come on over it's three bucks a month for a chapter you know and i promise to deliver all the chapters within a year You're, this is not going to be strung out forever and ever and ever like the book's done and this also frees me up to start writing book five because now i'm not spending all this time doing marketing and everything mm -hmm. so it was a, it turned out not fully shelved i didn't know at the time where the path would take me but five years later it's like oh wait i can the timing is right so that's kind of my like second lesson is like it's just because not now doesn't mean not ever like nice. things change yeah now you said that there was there was a beta reader that 
did something to your confidence. Would you mind speaking about that? Yeah, it it was a good lesson. Um, and I think um, it, it's a hard lesson to hear. Um, but there were issues, there, there were racial issues she felt. Um, and to be perfectly honest, so I'm white for your, your um, listeners. I'm very liberal. I have worked in um, nonprofits, uh, urban poverty um, and equality. Um, and so this is <laughs> not to get too political, but like, yeah, like white fragility. I think it was kind of one of those moments for me, but it was like, you know, she she read some stuff and she was like like this feels very racial to me like like in a bad way like this is like some trope you've got some bad tropes here now i didn't fully agree with everything that she wrote but i did sit and think about it for a long time and i was kind of like oh i see what you mean like i see how it comes across that way like or like i did not do my due diligence like i did not develop some of these secondary characters as well as I could have. You are absolutely right to call me on that. Um, unfortunately, it was done in a public review and this was a person that I considered a friend. So there was also kind of that feeling of like, why don't you take me aside and like talk to me privately before putting me on blast kind of thing. And that's, a, I think, fragility and ego kind of thing where I was like, you know what? She didn't have any responsibility to do that. Like, you know, however she provided the feedback and however she was comfortable. Like, I also understand like that's a really, hard thing to put on somebody to pull, even if they're your friend and pull them back and like, hey, you're being a little racist here, sorry. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was it, definitely a hard thing to learn, but I sent the book back to the drawing board. Um, and I think the story has come out much better um, and, and stronger. And so I ultimately, I am grateful she did that. And I recognize the, the privilege that she did that for me. And she could have kept her mouth shut and said nothing and been like, yeah. You know, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> like, you're gonna get toasted, <laughs> but you know, but it's because it's we true. Were friends. But at the same time, even just getting a normal review is hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never mind what the contents are. So I can see how that would have. Uh, yeah, from a yeah. friend, like yeah, somebody who knows me personally and knows like anything that I did was unintentional. Yeah. Like yeah, it hurt. But then, like once I got over my being a big baby, you know, kind of <laughs> and being hurt and like. Put on my professional hat like is there truth in this i was like yeah you're right i'm sorry i did that and again it's one of those where it's not like it's just like oh i did my best my best was not good enough because i had blinders we all have blind spots things we don't yeah. see and you have helped me to remove those blinders i'm really grateful for that and now i now i know better i can do better and so yeah went back and and worked harder and so I'm a little scared releasing the book now, but I'm like, I think it's good. I think that I have resolved those issues and um, and I learned and I grew. Not that it's all about me, but <laughs> that's, I think the goal for all of us, right, is oh, to learn and, and grow and do better, so. Nobody's perfect, and, you know. No. And in the end, well, she did you a favor, so. Yeah. yeah, huge favor, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so grateful. And I know how hard it was probably for her to do that too, you know, yeah. and so, yeah. Did you ever like did you ever like when that when when she gave you that feedback did you ever want to like oh let me verify with someone else if this was or 
let me find a sensitivity reader that can verify what she was saying or um, were you going off with just that with, with just her feedback um, when you know when looking at what she was saying about the book well that's what's really interesting and that's what gets so very um, difficult in these sort of situations so I'm white the parts that she was um, critiquing uh, involved um, a couple of different Asian cultures, uh, Thai and Filipino. I did have a sensitivity reader while I was drafting who is Thai and lives in Thailand. And several of my coworkers are Filipino. And I actually, the Filipino parts I included as a nod to them and we're pulling in their culture and they were super excited to have this in there. The critiquer um, is black. So she has a certain lens and experience that makes her able to see things that I could not, but I also didn't fully agree with some of her feedback because she's not from the culture that we were particularly talking about. So it was one of those where I kind of had to do a balancing act. And I, you know, I was like, you are right in some parts, but I'm not sure I wholesale agree because I have two other people from the particular cultures in question who are saying that this is okay. On the other hand, those people are not living in the United States, right? Yeah. And the United States has its own bag of poo on the, these things that like people from other countries. So it was trying to balance these different lenses and thinking, okay, this is okay in that country, but is it okay in the American racial context, you know, in history, which my friend was able to provide. And so, yeah, it was kind of this balancing act. And then of course, you know, culture is not a monolith, right? Like one person is like, this is a, a trigger for me or a hot button for me, but it might not be for other people. And so I, I did kind of try to go broader and get some additional sensitivity readers and beta readers and feedback. Um, and I am very privileged and, and lucky to have a very diverse uh, friendship group where I could kind of pull in different people and then I could go into like professional circles and and look for, you know, actual professional services. Um, and it's just one of those things where, yeah, you're never gonna make everybody happy, um, but going back and then, yeah, kind of going, okay, bottom line was these characters were underdeveloped. I was using them as a prop for my main character mm -hmm. who happens to be white. Um, and so that kind of starts playing into all these kind of uh, things that are in American culture that we got to deal with as a country, right? So it's like the fix, was to make them not be props for her, right? <laughs> it was to make them fully fleshed characters and have yeah. their own goals and motivations and and reasons. And so the story is better. And then it, and I think that it sort of illustrates like how you can get into this trap is like, it. I wasn't trying to be like a racist, right? Like I was doing a bad job as an author using my secondary characters as a prop for the main character instead of making them characters. and. <laughs> So sometimes it's, you just create problems for yourself, like in these bigger contexts, because you didn't do the basic job, which was as an author, like, did I deliver a story, plot holes, three flushed out characters, the emotional beats, the pacing. When you take care of the basics, a lot of this other stuff often will take care of itself as well. Good point. Very yeah, good. I think that's a very important lesson to learn, especially for like Definitely. newbie writers as well, because, you know, like, because there's a very big debate about, can I write about a culture that I'm not 
in um, or should I only be writing about a culture that I'm in, you know? So it kind of puts you in this box as well. Like if I'm Filipino, do I only write about being Filipino? And um, I don't know if you know this about me, Terry, but I'm Filipino. So How are you? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. And, and nobody, no, it's like, I really, it's, sometimes I have to whip out my birth certificate, but re really, really it's genetics. Um, uh, the reason why I am this way, but I am Filipino. And, and sometimes it's difficult for me to justify being Filipino, look, having blue eyes, being brunette and being white. And, but at the same time, I am not within the culture of, I'm not in America. So I didn't grow up there. That is not the culture I know, which was also something that became difficult for me as a writer. Do I write? white characters that i'm not really familiar with because even if my skin looks this way and my eyes are light um i cannot do them justice because i don't i didn't grow up that way i only know them from i only know the american culture from entertainment mm -hmm. um the way we filipinos consume that um but then if i write a fully filipino character how can I write someone with brown skin when I do not have brown skin? How can I write someone uh, with straight black hair when I, do, I obviously do not have straight black hair? So it, I I yeah. get what you're, I, I definitely understand where you're going and on what you were thinking. And then, but it, then it clicked in my mind the moment you said, but because we need to make them fully fleshed individual yes. characters it's not just because they're serving up the main character which i think it became a problem with a lot of releases you know where the poc characters just became props mm -hmm. to yeah. the white character that is the main you know the main of the ensemble is the main and that's such a great lesson to learn also is when you take care of the basics everything everything else falls into place and mm -hmm. i really really love that and that's a you know and, and then it's like sometimes it's like this podcast is i i feel selfish sometimes because i get it's like we get these nuggets of wisdom and <laughs> yes. i'm so happy that we get to share it with everybody else as well um yeah. so yeah so with your third so what is your third shelf book story this one breaks my heart the most. It's a story I can't get to come together. I've got no. a character. I've, I've got kind of a, a world. I don't have a plot and I can't find my way into the plot. And it's been driving me crazy for six years now and just keeps yeah. banging around in my head. And I've tried making a short story. I've tried expanding it to a novel, a novella. I've just tried all kinds of different things and I just can't get it to come together. And sometimes that happens you get really far into a story sometimes I mean I've had I've got a, a whole graveyard of of stories but this is one that like I particularly love and the voice is very strong in my head of the character and so it feels like it should come together and I just can't and I'm like listen you just, <laughs> what is your problem get on the page right now um, <laughs> So yeah, sometimes you just get a story where you're just like, I know this is a great idea. I know that 
um, like I love the character, I love the voice, I love the world. This is so much fun, but you just can't get it to turn into anything usable. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's not a character that ever has fit into any of my other stories where I could like at least just get the character like as a like a walk on bit to some other story or book, and then maybe eventually then they'll start talking to me and give me their story. This is just a project that's over by itself that doesn't relate to any other uh, things I've written. It's an older character, an older woman. Um, it's a time travel story. And that's all I got. <laughs> just those two items sound really fun, actually. Doesn't it? <laughs> what is the, can you describe what the old woman is about? I mean, what, what is she saying to you? That, yeah, it's kind of like a, um, uh, what do they call it? Like a second, uh, second life or like fourth quarter of life kind of story where like she's getting ready to retire and then like, turns out kind of she has these uh, like time travel powers and like gets kind of a second wind and kind of goes into her second life you know it's time travel yeah, you need to write this this sounds awesome <laughs> yeah like everybody's I mean, like have, what about does she have kids or a family that she would leave behind if she did travel or is she like self-employed or yeah no she she works she's an accountant um you know just kind of had this very boring life and you know never married kind of what you in the old days we would have called like a spinster she's she's really snarky and kind of grumpy too which is really fun she's just like tired of everybody and their their shit <laughs> kind of you know <laughs> and she's about to retire and she's just like yeah and then yeah and uh, that she sounds wonderful to the, to the future she could she could do either she could do whatever she wants she can go where she wants yeah and uh, i love that can i um she sees a part of herself 
that could have been if this one thing didn't change it and then it make so so what if like along the way she's like let me try to fix it what if i try to fix it and then what could this not be you know and, just and so you know Terry, we, up the entire world <laughs> just yeah. so you know we we think we think it's our job to pull out one of the like the the, the shelved book stories and make it happen so we do this to every author we just say give us what? 10 minutes <laughs> because we want to read the stories we yeah, stories and they sound fabulous and we were like well how do we make it so let's make right. it like how we want it in our hands so yes yeah <laughs> and it sounds fabulous i mean it has the character who's snarky who which yeah. I, I like snarky characters and yeah. i love your writing so of course i'm gonna want to read it and so yeah i'm like and so kate's talking about going to the past i'm like well, what if she goes to the future, future. and <laughs> finds out how the end of her life is and then she has to decide okay do I leave it the way it is or do I try and go back and fix it and then you end up with something like Kate <laughs> this, this is I starting mean, to sound this is starting to sound like a, a, a retelling of like the Christmas story with the ghost of present past. Oh, yeah. and I'm telling you, Terry, give us five minutes. We'll send you the outline. You can write the whole thing. There we go. There we go. That's, it'll be great because this story is driving me nuts. Like this is this, this is how I'm going to die is just like losing my mind, you know, over this story that I just can't bring yeah. together. And I'm like, Cause, cause really, like you, just have to th you just have to think about the time travel aspect of it. Because if like if I got that if I got a power, what would I do with it? Would yeah. I try to change my life? Would I try to change the world? Uh, you know, those questions come into play um, because like, it's. I think it's the same thing when let's say, oh, you encounter a genie right now, three wishes, yeah. what are you going to wish for? It's something like that. So you have time travel powers. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna be the selfish one who's gonna try to sell, you know, salvage your life or are you going to be like the selfless one who's going to try to save the world and so it's because you know what's happened before and maybe you can change it or now you you see what's going to happen and maybe you can change it so it's kind of that or are you going to do anything it's like it's almost like now that you know are you even going to try because the fact that you know might actually lead to the things the decisions you make might actually lead towards that fate that you saw in the future. So it's kind of that, because like you said, you're only missing a plot. Here we are, here we are. We're, we're brainstorming, we're brainstorming but, here. But you know, Terry, you're absolutely right that this is a great idea because listen to us, we're all excited. We're trying to think of something. So this nugget that you have is so good. Like, keep at it, keep at yeah. it. I'm saying you like, yeah. What's gonna happen is she's gonna be driving down the street or, you know, <laughs> yes. or, or like, you know, in the shower, like they, right. and all of a sudden, bam, is gonna hit you, yeah. and finally, you're gonna have her fully fleshed out, and, it, and that's it's gonna right. Be and then send us an email telling us right away. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, for your readers, your listeners, I just want to say, like, these sort of brainstorming sessions are such a gift, and I, yeah. I have met many like young writers who feel like really offended in these sort of conversations, like that's not my story, or like don't give me the answer kind of thing, but what i have learned over the years is like when you have like there's like a door that's locked in your brain right and getting these outside perspectives are not going to open that door but they might give you the key to opening the yes. door and Agreed. while you guys were talking actually i just had like three ideas i'm like oh wait a minute i think 
Go and it's like down. not like yeah it's not the specific information you guys yeah. gave me but it's like that different perspective or that it just it's almost like the brain gets stuck like a yes. train on the track and it's just like stuck there and then like these different ideas start like laying tracks to new directions like oh mm -hmm. wait i can go around the problem this way and it just yes. starts like new neural pathways or something yes. in the brain mm -hmm. and so like if you can get people to listen to one of your ideas and then start throwing ideas, even if those ideas are totally useless, like yeah. Jonah should be a college age hottie <laughs> and after after should be a romance. It's like, but it still can spark things. Um, yeah. That actually but, was a genesis of a character in the second book. Ian came out of that was like my response to, well, this is what happens when there's a college age hottie, betrayal and bad things. <laughs> But, but like, yeah, if you can get people to spend five minutes giving you ideas, yes. take it as a gift. And I do that now on Twitter on Wednesdays. I'm like, okay, like, here's like a topic, throw me like pictures, I story ideas, like weird news stories, because Ooh, it just yeah. sparks creativity and stuff. Love Sometimes it. you need to get out of your own head and your own circle of experience and stuff to get the good stuff. And so, yeah, yeah no, thank you. I think uh, you may have solved my problem. And I, may have story. I also, I think you have to have like the, 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 the core of the idea has to be, you know, like really good. Like the, what you just said two or three words to us and we were all over it. So I think that yeah. the, when the core is really good, mm. yeah, absolutely. Like people get excited and then exactly what you said, like just hearing one thing goes like, Oh, there you go. So good mm. for you. And I hope you read it soon. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are a, viewer right now listening to us what would you do with terry's idea <laughs> leave it in the comments you know leave it in the comments let us know if you have a snarky sarcastic character who's uh alone in alone in life maybe and and is about to retire from her job what and and finds out she has tra time travel powers what will happen if you were the one who wrote that story what would happen so it's that i think it's it's so good to have creatives together bouncing ideas uh because we we influence each other's creative juices we activate each other's creative juices and i think that is the same when you read a really good book and if you're a writer it activates a creative thing in your brain that's like you're not writing whatever it is you're reading, of course, but it's like it activates this thing. Oh, oh, there's a story in my head that I want, mm -hmm. you know, that I want to write. And uh, so we are actually the three fates of storytelling right now, <laughs> you know, uh, past, future, past, present and future. Um, like I joke, we, we are not uh, sharing an eyeball yet, but uh, <laughs> we are always happy. We are always happy to uh, activate that story. Oh, my God. Oh, I want to read it. I want to read it right now. And, you know, and I think that's the great thing also. And that's one of the fun things of being a writer is that, you know, finding that community and, you know, what do you think? And then, and then you hear someone say something and you're like, I didn't think about yeah. this. And it is important to find people who you can have that relationship with or be able mm. to, you know, when you are stuck, just be able to, hey, so this is where I am. This is what's going on. I'm, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I love this character, but I just don't know what to do with, with it. And uh, 
And I've, I mean, I've been able to do that with my, with Kate and Christy because they're my critique partners and it's invaluable to have that, you know, and unfortunately we don't have AQC anymore. I know, <laughs> you know but that, right? that's just a community, but you know, there are people and there are community places out there where you can find other writers and, you know, who can help inspire you to kind of um, keep on walking on that journey when you start feeling yeah. like you just don't know where to go anymore. And so I think that's why it's really, and, and you've always been such a help to me when I had to do my Facebook party for the launch of my first novel. And uh, you're like right there. And this is how you do it, Angie. And you kind of laid it all out, you know, and who were one of the guests and stuff. And so, yeah, I just, um, I've always really appreciated all the help and support that you gave me over the years. And I just want to let you know that. So, and I'm so grateful that you came on. So, yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to gush, but I did. <laughs> I love Terry. Uh, thank you. <laughs> no crying in podcasting. Right? Like, I will cry. Like, I will cry. I'm like, commercials. <laughs> well, on that note, let us segue on to Christy's speed round. Take it away, Christy. Yes, 10 questions, top of your head answers, just whatever comes out. And I promise they're not so, like they're not too hard. So are you ready? <laughs> ready. Okay, number one, what grade was your favorite teacher? And do you remember he or she's name? I had a lot, but I'm gonna go with third grade, Mr. Radcliffe. Oh, with, oh third grade, so he was teaching everything. So yes. Uh, number two, would you rather cook the meal or clean the kitchen? Oh, God, cook. <laughs> number three, what's your favorite candy bar? Oh, that is a really tough one. Oh, gosh. I, at the end of the day, it's, I, it's not candy bars. I think, like, give me some Twizzlers instead of a candy bar. All good with that. Absolutely. I'll be right there with you. Number four, if you could go back in time, would you go to the future or to the past? Oh, I I wrote that down. <laughs> Synergy. Um, the future, for sure. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. People don't believe it, but it's true. No, it doesn't show at all. You're hiding it well. Number six, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, anyone, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Honestly, I don't know. I, you know, somebody who's got a somebody who's got like a castle or like one of the really big, nice houses on um, Mount Desert Island or Bar Harbor. I love old <sighs> houses and big houses. So I just want to go spend a day in their house. So that sounds good. Are you a night owl or an early bird? Neither. I am a delicate hothouse flower who's good between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. <laughs> I love that answer. I, can we copyright that? I love that. <laughs> Number eight, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. All the yeah. way. <laughs> what is your favorite reading spot? And this can be real or imagined. Um. I, we bought this house and moved in the week the COVID lockdown order came two years ago. And I have a gorgeous sunroom slash library. Um, so I have a full library in my home for the first time with 
floor to ceiling windows overlooking the river. That is oh. my favorite spot these days. Oh, I That bet. would be my favorite spot too. Yeah, yes, right? absolutely. And the last question, which is always the most serious, important question of all. If you're at a barbecue, do you take a hot dog or a hamburger? Both. Yeah. Good answer. I, I want one of each, a little potato salad and some corn on the cob. And then I'm a good happy girl. Thank you so much for answering those. Nice. That was fun. And, and, you know, now, now I really want a sunroom tour. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. a quick pass with your uh, cell phone camera. Great. Uploading it onto uh, your social media, wherever only because like that's what that's that's almost like what everybody's been doing like lately it's like uh bought a new house empty house tour you know so um I've, I've always been curious and terry you have been quite a gem and we are just blown away by the nuggets of wisdom that we were able to pick up from you today where can our listeners slash viewers find you and what are you working on now? Yeah, so my website is terrybruce.net um, and pretty much all my social media links are there. My Patreon um, is there. And um, I have uh, a new initiative I'm also working on uh, with a group of women authors called Strong Women, Strange Worlds. Um, we are building community for women and non-binary writers of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. We've got a website. We've got twice monthly readings. We have virtual author readings. You guys are all invited to come and be authors. Um, so I hang out there the first Friday and third Thursday of every month. You will find me uh, at our live readings in the background. I'm usually the bouncer. I'm the mean one that kicks out the troublemakers out of the Zoom room. <laughs> but I'm there so people can find me there. And so I'm currently releasing the fourth book of my Afterlife series. Woohoo! After, after five-year delay. And that is going out um, as a subscription base to Patreon supporters first. And then hopefully we'll be out in book format next year but if people want to get it now sign up for my patreon and i'm starting work on the fifth book and i'm querying i'm back in the query trenches with the third major novel this one will be the commercial breakout success so far i'm up to i think 28 rejections so oh no no it takes one they say aim for a hundred you're not even trying if you don't get a hundred rejections so yeah. i'm I'm very far from that. I'm still at the very beginnings of it, but it's an epic science fiction adventure story that I'm uh, calling a cross between the expanse and firefly. So <laughs> the sci-fi Western framework um, with an ensemble like firefly. So oh yeah, my God. Totally there. I love wow. those, both of those. Yes. Yeah, somebody tell the agents and the publishers so well, if, if it doesn't get picked up i'm hoping that you will at least self-publish it because that is definitely something that i know christy and i would need to have probably k2 yeah yeah hey. Hey. oh yeah yeah we're all pretty nerdy like in a good way yeah. yeah so i'm hope i'm hoping i'm hoping we'll see but yeah that that story is is humongous there's no way i'm shelving that one it's just too big that's it's 260, come up 265,000 words an average that's novel perfect. is 80 to 100 so this is it'll probably be broken into a trilogy i wrote it so it could be broken into three parts because i'm not sure any publisher would put it out as one book because it'll be a doorstopper but 
Yeah, but we no love doorstoppers. Oh, They're right? so like, good. Can you imagine how much we have to read with that? I mean, we like heaven, heaven. heaven. Right. I'm sending this clip to to uh, with submission. All my queries from now on, I'm gonna send that little clip. Oh yeah, just put, in, like, <laughs> yeah, just put in your little thumbnail. You know, your little uh, the link for for your page, and they can just watch it and see all about you. A hundred percent, because those big books, you get to spend time and, you know, like yeah. there's nothing worse than reading a book and saying, oh, it's all done. And now you've yeah. got like so many more page. Oh yeah, no, totally. Well, I'm, especially I'm with, with a science fiction, because you have yes. a fully fleshed world, you know, you yeah. have to develop yeah. a world and, you know, in the culture for the world. And, you know, that takes a lot of work and you can't mm -hmm. do it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like 7,000 words. You just can't yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, she says my I, world does not have faster than light travel, so things move very slowly. So it takes you know a lot of time to develop that they, world. They get to talk and chat. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have a before before we end this. I have a question about the Patreon when when you release the chapters. If, for example, I as a future Patreon would a uh, patron would uh enter would would let's say pay the three dollars a month for the chapter do i get access to the previous chapters or do yeah. i uh do i just get access to the chapter that i paid for that month you get access to all the back material that's still posted so like, yeah an author could like set expiration dates but i'm not doing that so yeah Right now, six chapters are posted. So anybody who joins today gets the first six chapters right off the bat and can binge read. That's them. a good deal. Yeah, binge yeah, reading is bad. the best. <laughs> and I think I think there's something about that about the Patreon. I think when the big authors get tired of the get tired of the big what what is happening with the bigger publishers right now and how the advances are going and you know if you're a listener or a viewer. Who doesn't know it's a big to do um they might if they just i feel like if one of them or a few of them a handful of them start doing what you're doing i feel like everybody's going to start doing that yeah. and it's like you have more control of course they have the money to pay for editors and whatnot and whatnot and then just do it as a patreon oh my gosh that's i think the, it's the, the, yeah the new, the new hybrid publishing style i think yeah because i mean if you look at what came out of the 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 trial for the the merger of a random penguin there and simon and schuster right like the big publishers are like we don't know how to make money off books anymore yeah. <laughs> like the one so book pays for everybody else and all the other books yeah. are losing money and i think it in between piracy and the cost of ebooks and like there's so much disheartening stuff with publishing that was part of my shelf story for when after and discovering this is like, I think this is the future of publishing is going back to serialization. We're going back to Charles Dickens, you know, yeah. and magazine subscription things, but now we can deliver it instantly over the internet and through email. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I think it's the future of publishing. And you can That's see groups, saving. you know, like groups of people getting together and saying like, you know, you'll pay $3, but you'll get all of these books, you know, like I yeah. can, you're ahead of the curve, Terry, I, I think. Oh, absolutely. there's authors doing that. A lot of the romance yeah. authors now are doing bundles together, a patch on yeah. together, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I'd love to yeah. see like science fiction, fantasy, like the non-romance yes. genres moving in that direction. Um, yeah, authors banding together, box sets, the, yes. the group patrons, the group Kickstarters, that is the Perfect. future. We I are agreed. stronger together. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Something to 
consider, you know. But if you are a newbie writer, you know, try to really like go through all the paths and all of mm. that. And um, but then again, who am I to say? Maybe you're a newbie writer. Tried the Patreon, hit it big on Patreon, you know, and uh, that could just be it. And I, in all honesty, I feel like if someone just like really hits it big and becomes buzzy on there, I feel like people are gonna jump ship and just, you know, do Patreon and and maybe like release chapters on their own and things like that. And yeah, you, Christy's right. It, it's I think there's a future here. That yeah. uh, is definitely someone's gonna someone's gonna tap that. Okay, not not the right <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> Usually, me say something. <laughs> not, not not the right about. phrasing, but I feel like the listeners and viewers know what I mean. Okay, yeah, and yeah of course, we all know what you meant. <laughs> Before I say something even more inappropriate, dear viewer, dear uh, listener, if you have a shelf book story, we would love to read it on here on the podcast. Please email it to us at shelfbookspodcast at gmail.com. And please stay tuned to next week where we have another amazing guest, Terry. Really, we are just floored and honored that you joined us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, thank you thank for you. having me. This has been a huge pleasure. And like I said, it felt like a reunion um, to, to come <laughs> back to people who knew me before I was published and to be able to kind of talk about what's happened in the last 10, 12 years. Amazing. Yeah, it's been a long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all grown a lot over the, the last So yeah, for remember, sure. everybody. Keep on writing. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry. And that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.